Wow, it's episode 15. God oh, damn it. All right, I'm going to say season four, episode 15, a bunch, and you can just edit it in, okay? Yeah. Season four, episode 15. Season four, episode 15. Season four, episode 15. Season four, episode 15. Well, Jessica and Zach, from the day they were born, they started watching comedy because it was on. She was a golden girl. He had Seinfeld on the brain. They said a nine-year-old Frasier fan might just be insane. Harry and the Hendersons, Mindy and Mork. Now Jessica and Zach get together and talk. They'll never say the sitcom's glory days are gone. They'll still watch it because it was on. Because it was on. Because it was on Because it was on Because it was on Is it too early to set up a Patreon? And I'll call it Because it was on 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 Hello and welcome to Because It Was On we're like that fancy film podcast, but for people who want to talk about that episode of Bosom Buddies, where the fellas have to volunteer as candy stripers and their drag personas because the hospital is severely understaffed. I thought it was a light switch. It said in great big letters, respirator. <laughs> I'm Zach, and my boss is possessed by a demon. She's climbing on the ceiling, and I just found out the SEC is doing a raid on all of her records. Today of all days. And I'm Jessica, and for some reason, I'm in a fat suit in all of my high school memories. Yeah. Jessica, what are we talking about today? I'm very excited, mm, um, mm, but let's, yes. clue, let's clue the audience in on what we're talking about, if they haven't guessed it by well, now. Well, you know, Zach, we really have been wandering down this road, which we call life. <laughs> it's what we're doing. Absolutely. And... Um, I don't know if I've ever introduced you to my friend, but it's time for you, my boy, to meet the world. When the spawn meets world, spawn meets world, wandering down this road we call life, what we're doing, it's good to know our friends will always stand by me, when the spawn meets world. Boy meets world. <laughs> Boy meets world. It's a time to talk about Fene. Fene. Fo, 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 Fene. Fene. We have put our little grubby hands on Boy Meets World once before on this podcast, but she has never been the star. And today she is. Um, we talked about Boy Meets World for our teen sex episode where Corey and Topanga decide they're, you know, they're not quite ready. Uh, they're not quite ready to bang it out. So we had so much fun with the Everybody Loves Raymond, the Lady Swallows a Fly episode that we said, you know, wouldn't it be fun to do another single episode deep dive? And uh, we both decided that the best way to select single episode deep dives in the future will be to think of the episodes that just live rent free in one of our heads and have been there since we've been like eight years old. And so Zach reached deep into the recesses of his brain and pulled out something that has been just on repeat in the background for the last like 
20 years. And yeah. we're here today to talk about Boy Meets World. Yeah. The episode, I think it's season four, episode 16. Mm-hmm. Chick Like Me. Chick Like Me. Listen, folks. Yes. The rule was the episodes that live rent-free in our heads, they just way heavily on us and like have just <laughs> imprinted themselves on it and so i went into my mind palace and i went through the annals of all the sitcom episodes i've watched and in the far back corner i walked past the episode of the cosby show that forever made me wear non-matching socks um i walked past uh like uh, the Roseanne episode where I, I watched Dan and realized I, I, I might be into guys. And there are, I just heard, I heard one of the members calling, Tipping is not a city in China. Uh, please pay at the register, honey. <laughs> tipping is not a city in China. And there it was, chick like me. There she was. For those of you not in the know, tragically, get on it. This is... This is a strong buy well recommend. Yeah. Here's what we'll do. Everybody, everyone who's listening, take a pause right now. Go watch the episode. We'll be here when you guys are done. Oh my God, welcome back. Did you love it? I just want, so glad to hear that. I just want you guys to know, um, I'm not your mom. You don't got to do nothing you don't want to do. We'll still talk about it. <laughs> it's true. We will still talk about it either way. I did throw a bit when Zach asked me to watch a three minute YouTube video. So I do understand that this is a huge ask of you yeah, to yeah. watch a 20 minute Boy Meets World episode. But I just want you guys to get all of our jokes. Yeah. I mean, we'll paint a picture for you. It'll... We'll paint a picture. Well, welcome to my mind palace. Uh, let me show you around. <laughs> uh, well, I hope in that little walk through Zach's mind palace, you guys got little sniffs of what future episode deep dives might look like. Um, I'm going to keep mine secret to keep it a surprise. But, Zachary, what is Boy Meets World? I'm glad you asked, Jessica, because Boy Meets World is the story of a sweet, lovable boy that just wants to do the right thing, and he's meeting the world. His name is Corey Matthews. He's inexplicably Jewish, and he lives in, like, a a, a pasty Protestant uh, family in Philadelphia. And um, he's just learning moral lessons, um, not only moral lessons, but how to be a fucking human being. Uh, This show is nailing what uh, Home Improvement was trying to do, Uh, like teach you how to be a man, uh, like emotionally available, like flexible human being. It features Mr. Feeney as the neighbor on the other side of the fence, but uh, unlike with Wilson, that fence is low, and we are meeting each other eye to eye. And uh, you're gonna you're yeah. gonna face you're you're gonna face this intimacy. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. It, it, you know, Tim had his emotional glory hole, uh, and that's just an inappropriate an inappropriate concept to put onto Boy Meets World. So I just won't make that joke. Yeah, well, what I'm saying is it's not an emotional glory hole. Like, the fence is no, lower. No, I know. And they're, I know. they're talking to each other, and they're being vulnerable. It's a two-way street. And um, this show has a lot of, like, lovely lessons about... Um, it does, Like, yeah. toxic masculinity and empathy. We'll be getting into all that, baby. Yeah. I, one thing I love about Mr. Feeney in terms of the trope of, like, the wise... Like, the wise or the sage advice giver... 
is that of all sort of wisdom givers in sitcoms or even in the genre more like holy he is the most like unwilling and exasperated of all of them mr feeney mr feeney i was expecting you today tomorrow yesterday it was only a matter of time yeah He's just... He doesn't want to be giving you advice, but he's not going to shirk the duty. I don't know. Hold on. So he gives his little like... Uh, I don't like this, but he follows those people uh, from like... This man is like <laughs> licensed to teach like kindergarten through like college. <laughs> All the way through college. Yeah. He, and he yeah. follows... Uh, that cohort through all of it like he gives up his yeah. job as a fucking principal <laughs> yeah it's uh, he he will never let go jack like he is hanging on with this gang um so you're absolutely right about that so he ho yeah, I think... and it's like oh you crazy kids i don't want to always be giving yes. you lessons and like the the world right sitcoms are hell so mr feeney's specific type of sitcom hell is you have now been made responsible for this inexplicably Jewish child next door to you. And you must ensure that he grows up to be a good man. And that is his hell because he clearly like doesn't want to do it. He just wants to garden. Yeah. there. That's all this man wants. Yeah. There are a host of uh, 90s made for TV movies about angels being sent to earth to like uh do moral instruction to mm, children touched by an angel yeah touched by an angel's doing it dolly parton was in a christmas one uh where it's like you got to go down there and like fix, fix i think that, that was family. relatively recent but yeah no that was in the 90s yeah. no she didn't she just didn't oh she christmas did another on one <laughs> she she loves that shit yeah. dolly parton loves being an angel yeah because uh, she is one she is um yeah, no, the, the, there was angels in the outfield. Yeah, we loved this. We loved guardian angels teaching white kids a lesson. Yeah, and um, so that's what Mr. Feeney is. He is just like the guardian angel there to give you exactly what you need, uh, the lesson, and he's got the metaphors. Yeah, extremely begrudgingly. Yeah. I don't get the sense that this man really likes children all that much. He's probably like, Corey is probably like the 50th Corey that he's had to deal with, like, <laughs> like, gone in, like, cycles, like, and he knows, like, once Corey graduates from college, he's going back to kindergarten. I do want to explain the inexplicably Jewish thing, because it's going to be weird if we never get to it. Uh, <laughs> and we just have that sitting there. Uh, ben Savage is a, a Jewish man, um, He and he plays Corey, the main character, and he lives with his Protestant fam family in Philadelphia. And he's just, like full-on dropping Yiddish. Absolutely. It's very much... Uh, the only other time I have seen this in media is in the Umbrella Academy with Five, where, like, they yeah. all grew up together, and they're, they were, like, adopted from different places in the world, but, like, as babies. So they should all have right. the same accent, presumably. But <laughs> Five is just, like, an old Jewish man. Like, he, he wants his schmears, he wants his locks. <laughs> yeah. And that's exactly the energy that Corey is serving when all of the rest of his family is like the wasps of the waspy waspness. Mm -hmm. I think 
I like I don't know if any of the other actors in his family are actually Jewish actors. I don't know. But Corey is the only one of them that is serving like old Jewish man. Yeah. Like he's given a full Don Rickles bit. Yeah. He fully, fully he is doing like old Jewish comedian. Uh <laughs> like it's like, oi, with the, the Christmas presents already. <laughs> like, that's what he's given. <laughs> I like, 11. Yes. Yeah. Ex- no, it's absolutely true. Um, and, you know, I actually recently saw Ben Savage in something. And I think you'll love when I tell you what I recently saw Ben Savage in. I love it. Let's go. Um, it was, uh, so a guilty pleasure I'll share with everyone is that during the Christmas season, I love watching the Hallmark Channel, and there's lots of things to love about Hallmark Christmas movies, but I'm specifically in it to see what one of my girlies are getting a paycheck this <laughs> year. Hallmark is the, uh, it, it's like the welfare to work program of Hollywood. Yeah, it's fully just a government program for retired TV <laughs> actors that just need some yes. money. Yes, and guess who showed up? My girly Ben Savage showed up in the most batshit Hallmark Christmas movie I have ever seen in my life. So it is this woman who learns essentially that she's adopted um, and that Pat, like her father or mother, I don't remember which one, mother I think, was Jewish and her father was Christian. And so she essentially, like the choice that she has to make in the movie is to choose to date Ben Savage and like embrace her Jewish side or like a Christian man and embrace her Christian side. And she ends up like going down the path of like dating Ben Savage. Uh, And this movie is called Love Lights Hanukkah. Beautiful. So Ben Savage wins in the end? Ben Savage wins in the end. Like I think like the choice between men happens like very early in the movie. I'm probably butchering this. Like this is all something that I remember watching three years ago on the Hallmark Channel at like three in the morning. It's the time to uh, watch when it. I could not sleep. And so I could not tell you if this is actually truly 100% the plot. And I'm not going to look it up. I'm just going to go based on the memory. And essentially like Ben Savage is seen as like the, the like personification of her choosing to embrace her Jewish heritage that she never knew. It's interesting that a Hallmark movie, one of like Christianist Christian channels, I mean, would have a movie where like the climax is she uh, she rejects Christ. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she it, well Hallmark went through a moment where it got criticized for being the most like whitewashed Christiany Christian Christian of all networks, and so they were like, "All right, we're gonna do it all." All of them. We've got gays. We've got black people. We've got Jewish people. We are crossing out the list. Next next year, it's going to be a very Satan Christmas yeah. on mm. the Hallmark Channel. That's when we know we finally won. When yeah. Hallmark's as soon gone as woke, they started... that's like the Citadel. <laughs> <laughs> well, they already, they, they, there's an, they, they spun off. There's a new Citadel now because Cameron, Candace Cameron uh, of Full House fame uh, decided that Hallmark was too woke for her because they allowed gays in the movie. So she created her own network to pump out, like, Christian Christmas movies. You're talking about uh, Guilty Pleasures, Jessica. I love Pure Flix. 
like the um, the Christian answer to Netflix. I love, I, I pirate all of them. Don't worry, they're not getting my money. But <laughs> I love the crazy ass movies that they put out. Oh, it's so good. Like you have a time travel one. Like they go back to like uh, they gotta save Jesus or something. It's and, and like there, there's like a gunfight because there's like a a rival time travel team that's trying to like stop Christianity from even starting. It's so it's fucking good. <laughs> God damn it! God damn it! Ugh. Like I think like, terrorists are gonna like bomb Jesus. <laughs> I love every single part of this, and the biggest bummer for me we we we, we repeat this often is that. There's a life where you and I don't have any type of moral compass where we just write these films. I would do it a fucking heartbeat. Are you kidding? <laughs> like, it's nothing would have to change for me. I would make these movies. Yeah. I mean, add that to the list of like, if you guys donate to our non-existent Patreon and we quit our jobs, we'll we'll write pure flicks for yeah. you guys. Well, I think that's just if we get canceled, then our plan <laughs> is we'll just go to pure flicks. We will go hard. We will take a hard right. Yeah, we'll just show sense. up at uh, pure flicks' door, say, "Listen, our audience went woke and we we got canceled." <laughs> so we're money. here to write a pure flicks sitcom. Yeah. And that's what's going to happen. So be prepared if you guys ever decide to cancel us. That's that's the route we're taking. Yeah. Anyway, what a digression. Um, it's all getting cut. So yeah, Boy Meets World. You say that so much and then you do not cut I it. I don't even cut you the part where it. I say it's going to get cut. You leave it fully <laughs> unedited. <laughs> so Boy Meets World. Yes, we're following Corey Mathers, his best buddy, Sean, his older brother, Eric. And of course... Corey's love, Topanga. the woman of his dreams, Topanga. There's a lot of Boy Meets World episodes that live rent free in my head. I know this is the one that that we chose for you, but I got I got two that live rent free in my head. One is when Corey like thinks he cheated on Topanga like the night before their wedding, and he leaves his wedding ring at a bar. Um, and then two, the scream episode. Death of the janitor signifies the end of the last of the obvious suspects. Just like in the cult classic, the last of the obvious suspects. <laughs> that would mean... Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> the killer is one of us. Like in, the killer is one of us. Dun, dun, dun. The Scream episode. My favorite episode of Boy Meets World is the Scream episode. For so Halloween, good. we might do so the Scream good. episode. Yeah. You guys, put a pin in the calendar. We might just do that. But those are the two that live rent-free in my brain. But needless to say, I watched a hell of a lot of Boy Meets World growing up. Did you? Yes, this was on the short list of things that I was instructed to inform my sister Jessica uh, if Boy Meets World was on. It was our show. It was our jam. We fucking loved Boy Meets World. I loved it when Corey was little. I loved it when they were in college. Um... I, it's tragic to see the brain degeneration of like Eric and whatever disease he happens to have. But you know, he's, uh, I, I love these characters. I grew up with these characters. I did not watch the reboot. I know that they did a reboot, Girl Meets World. Didn't watch this it. Is not, did you this watch is it? not a reboot show. Uh, Bible is not a reboot show. <laughs> yeah, we're pretty anti-reboot on almost all counts. Yeah. It looked Let's awful. Let's talk about this. It did look awful. Um, but it looked awful in the way that, like, as an adult, all Disney Channel shows look awful. Yeah. It's still going, isn't um, it? Yeah. 
You know, it's like watching Disney Channel shows as an adult is like watching porn after you've already come. There's just something a little weird about it, a little unsettling about it. You know, you don't connect to it in the same way as... Jessica, you are generating you those uh, merchandise quotes. <laughs> Look for the t-shirt, folks. <laughs> watching Disney Channel as an adult is like watching porn after you've already come. <laughs> Am I wrong? <laughs> is the vibe incorrect? No, this is absolutely correct. It's just too... Like, I... I know about landlords now. I know about rent. So I can't watch Disney Channel and like have the same like whimsical love. It's just not for me. Like Nickelodeon is like radioactive, painful to watch. It's like garlic to a vampire. I can't handle it. But Disney is literally just like, this isn't, I I feel Mm -hmm. nothing. I am a hollowed out husk. Which is, you know, it's such an interesting thing because we regularly end up dipping back into the pool and assigning ourselves Disney Channel shows. I believe, like, next week we have, like, six Disney Channel shows that we need to watch. Yep. Oh. <laughs> so get ready to just watch all that porn after you come. So uh, disturbing so be when like... uh, the porn in question is Wizards of Waverly Place. <laughs> <laughs> it's a metaphor. So I did not watch Girl Meets World, Um, but I did watch season four, episode 16 of Boy Meets World, Chick Like Me. Um, It may have broken my record for number of times that I watched a sitcom episode in a 48 hour period. How many times did you watch this? Okay, so I tried to experiment because, you know, last time we did this. Zach comes to the recording like I listened to it with Susan Boyle and he had all these goops and gags and shit. And I said, all right, I got to do something here um, so that I'm not embarrassed during my recording. And so I had two ploys that that I went for here. One is I worked from home on Friday and my desk is on one side of my room. On the other side of the room is our TV. And so I said, you know what I could do is I could just replay season four, episode 16 of Boy Meets World over and over and over again throughout the course of my entire workday. I, when I work from home, I usually start around seven and I end around 10. It's 10 hours of working time. Um, no, wait, I said seven to 10, seven to five. I start around seven and at five, that's 10 hours of working time. And so I said, I'll I'll just watch season four, episode 16 of Boy Meets World that whole time. That's going to be my goop. That's going to be my gag. I'm just going to have it on in the background the entire day. And so I go to do this. I started around seven. By 11 a.m., I cracked. I couldn't do it anymore. Four straight hours of pressing play, watching the episode, rewinding, pressing play, watching the episode, rewinding. Uh, That's three episodes an hour for four hours that I watched that show back to back to back to back to back. So I did that gag and I cracked. It was against the Geneva Convention. (laughs) It is actual torture what I put myself through. Um, I had also watched it the night before uh, and then I watched it about four times today. 
And then here's my other gag, my other little goop that I tried to do. I failed at this as well, gang. So I don't know why I acted like I had some, some lightning in a bottle here. But I decided I was going to play it. I have these headphones. It's like a headband with like um, sound in it that I use while I'm sleeping to block <laughs> out noise. I'm a very sensitive girl. I can't have noise while I'm sleeping. So I play like, um, it's like sleep sounds, basically, uh, to block out any noise. And I said, okay, I can connect it to Bluetooth. So what I'm going to go ahead and do while I'm sleeping. You're going to fucking flowers just, of Algernon on this shit? Yep. <laughs> I'm just going to play this episode of Boy Meets World over and over and over again while I'm sleeping. So I can see what it subconsciously like leaks into my brain. Um, but the gag is I never could figure out how to get it to just like auto repeat. And that's exactly what I was going to ask is how'd you do it? I couldn't figure out how to get it to auto repeat. So I went to sleep with it on and just listened to a lot of Boy Meets World. Okay. Until my headphones automatically shut off probably like 90 minutes later. So I tried gags. I tried goops. But I did. I'm I'm certain. I, I feel very confident to say I watched this episode at least 20 times. Okay. Yeah. You blew me out of the water then. I just stuck with uh, like 10 or 12 is what I watched. Should we hop in? Should we give a summary? And let's just hop in. Okay. So Jessica, see, uh, set the scene for us for season four, episode 15. Um, Absolutely. The intro Would is for season four. We're doing the red... I'm going to say Corvette with no real basis for yeah, that. I hate this. I, on, I I'm, It's a convertible for sure. Um, I hate the Boy Meets World intros without lyrics. I'm sorry. I like a lyric. Okay. I don't. It, the, the theme song is iconic. Why feel the need to change it? Boy Meets World unnecessary. If I am a producer of a sitcom, one hard and fast rule I have is if we are in like the second, third, fourth season, the person that pitches, we need to, like, take Carolyn Ray's part out of the intro, or we need to take the lyrics out of the intro, or anything like that, to, like, decamp it, that you're out. You're fucking out. Fired. Fired. Why? Fired. You don't understand my vision. Why are you working on a sitcom if you hate sitcoms? Get the fuck out. Literally. Get out. Get out. And so whoever made that choice with Boy Meets World, get out. Get out. You are not welcome here anymore. So we're at the set of Boy Meets World. So we're in a, uh, a school where essentially it's like a little foyer, foyer type situation where there are lockers where Sean and Corey and Topanga's lockers are. And we open in on Corey and he's very, very proud of his new running article in the paper uh, entitled is it just me yeah it's like uh, uh again inexplicably jewish yeah he just like came out and was like i'm gonna do an andy rooney bit <laughs> <laughs> in the newspaper column my column my column my column <laughs> my column is it just me bye Corey Matthews, do I have to? Enjoy. Is it just me, or does paste just not taste as good as it used to? <laughs> is it just me, or is Homer Simpson getting a little too old to be on the show? <laughs> Isn't that so true? Look, Corey, I know you really believe in your little humor column, but uh, 
Don't you think he should be writing about something a little more important, like the girls' swim team and why they don't wear high heels? These are the witticisms of one Mr. Corey Matthews. He's basically doing um, like a serial killer's diary, like in the column, just like uh, Kevin Spacey <laughs> in <the> Seven. <laughs> just the ma- uh, ramblings of a madman. Yes, and so he's very proud of his little humorist column, um, but no one else is. And uh, everyone else's suggestion to him is that he needs to take his opportunity as a journalist more seriously. And he needs to write about bigger issues that will actually help people and impact people. My favorite trope in high school sitcoms. Is Is it like, this paper can do things. Yeah. This paper can. And I took it to heart. I absolutely took it to heart. I had a lot of things brought up by just like the idea of a school paper within the few first seconds of this show. This is where I took the like, my voice matters and I'm a student journalist to heart. I decided I was gonna shake shit up. And so I worked on the school paper my senior year in high school. And we had this um, running thing in the paper. Again, school papers are absolute bullshit because it was this running thing in the paper. I can't wait to tell you all the shit about my high school paper that I know you're going to love. This thing in the paper where it was essentially a blind date, the column. It was called The Hookup, where you hook up two two people in the school and you write a column about it. And I decided, I'm volunteering for The Hookup this month. Guess what establishment? We're going to do a gay couple in The Hookup this month. Fucking take that suburban Chicago high school that I went to. Send the establishment on fire. It caused a problem. Mm-hmm. It caused a problem. I was sent to the principal's office to defend my idea. And so I had to, in front of the principal, uh, with me and the person who was also in the journalism class who was going to be part of the article, he and I had to go into the principal's office to defend the idea. So we're, as a punishment um, or just like you need to clear this with the principal? You need to clear this oh, with the okay. principal. Like you have to get the principal's okay to to do this idea um and instead of allowing us to do it they canceled the column altogether Fucking they said we don't we don't do Mm. they said we don't do the hookup column anymore we had uh jessica similar experiences with our uh newspapers my first experience was in high school it was my ambition much like gordo and lizzie mcguire again jessica and i both uh were Raised with by television, we are our behavior completely informed by television. Completely informed so, by television. Gordo wanted to be in the yearbook as much as possible. That was also my my gang, and so I was nominally in almost every student organization. Just <laughs> bare ass minimum, little butterfly pop in, be like, "What's good? What's the good?" I vote. I, I give Dorothy <laughs> my vote, and then leave. um and so i I showed up at the newspaper and um Mm -hmm. i had a few pitches all of them immediately bang smashed (laughs) down my first big pitch and like um i I nearly like wrote it up like i was ready to go because again i was told by sitcoms over and over again that you need to be uncovering the seedy underbelly of your school you need to be yes. knocking down the establishment. <laughs> you, it is your duty yeah. as a student journalist. So at the time, I thought that it was a good story that for prom, 
you got a discount if you went as a couple, but it had to be a heterosexual couple. So, like, you got essentially, I believe it was like $10 off if you bought them in pairs, and you showed up at the table with a boy and a girl. But if it was a gay couple, they wouldn't. And the administration's um, the justification for that was, well, then the fellas are just going to pretend to go up there and, and be a couple, but they're just getting the discounts. And so I was like, all right. Yeah, because you know all of the the high school boys that will willingly pretend to be gay for money. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the hordes of Southern boys in 2007. I wholly believe who are that Gen just Z raising would their hands. Fully do that. Um, just be like, yeah, yes. give me the discount. It was a different time, G- though. Gay for pay wasn't a thing. Yeah. It was a different. It was, but it was not in high school. Yeah. So immediately slapped down. Um, my mentor was like, absolutely not. We don't do that here. <laughs> we don't, we do, don't that do that here. here. Everybody else was yeah. like, what colors are we going to have for the <laughs> for the uh, pep rally? Uh, that kind of thing. And so I was like, okay, you don't want yes. that. You don't want that. You want that. That's fine. Yeah. But yeah. Okay. Here's my next pitch. This is the third coach in our school district that has been caught having sex with a student. (laughs) (laughs) What sort of vetting process are we having with for our uh, our school uh, (laughs) teachers and coaches? Somehow, amazingly, wasn't interested. (laughs) No, God, I can't imagine why that pitch didn't land. So um, they were, I was too hot for them. I was too ready to unveil the truth. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, when you go to sitcom high school, uh, you are very much allowed to write. Yeah, nice, you have like a co- constitutional right to like, they, they fully lead you to believe that like you are an independent newspaper, independently funded. <laughs> yeah. Um, turns out we're doing uh, we're doing blind dates. That's what we're going to do. We're doing blind dates, as long as they're heterosexual. Um, Is anybody covering the football team? Because they are doing sports. Yeah. And then, like, it's like, did anybody, like, go to camp this summer? Let's write that up. Yeah. Let's make sure that we're we're on top of that. Anybody got a review of the fall play? Put it in the paper, folks. Uh, and this is what a high school paper actually is. And if you were in North, uh, but... if you were in North Charleston, circa like 2008 through 2009, and you wanted the real truth about what was fucking happening, then the place where you would get that gooey nu- nugget of truth was uh, my MySpace page. And um, just a heads up, it will autoplay Oliver's I Would Do Anything For You. <laughs> Which version? I hope the Patty Lapone one. Uh, no, it was like the movie, the like... 1970s uh, movie. The Angela Lansbury version. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> Ooh, we are nowhere wow. on our timeline. <laughs> we are nowhere on the timeline. We got distracted by student news bringing you the scoop. Anyway, uh, so Corey, Corey, I can't believe we went so far in that cul-de-sac. Corey, Sean, Topanga, they're all, well, not Topanga yet. Corey and Sean, they're standing by the lockers. He's going through his little humorous column. Sean says, why don't you write about the real news? Why doesn't the girl swim team wear high heels? So Sean's just giving us light misogyny. He's giving us a little sprinkle of misogyny, planting that seed. Yeah. In walks Topanga with 
uh, character we'll never see again, Debbie. And Debbie is like, she's not Hillary Swank. I looked it up, but she looks a little like Close. Her. Yeah. It's a close likeness to Hillary Swank. And so a Hillary Swank-esque girl, Debbie. And they're talking about a lovely little date that they that Debbie went on that turned out to be not so lovely because as soon as she got close to being dropped off at her house, you know what time it was, Zach? What time? Octopus. Octopus, octopus time. Octopus time. Love that line. It was great. We were talking and laughing and having such a great time. And then at the end of the night, hard two blocks from my house. Octopus time. Topanga had lines this episode. Oh, she did. So she just recounts the casual trauma of just like being groped against her will by a boy she went on a date yeah. with. And Topanga and Debbie are like, yeah, this shit, that's what happens. Uh, why are boys like this? Why is this uh, a, a thing that happens? And so they're essentially just both sharing in that thing that all women have done since time immemorial, which is um, why do men want to touch you <laughs> against your will? Uh, why, when you go on a date, do you have to be concerned that like they might put something in your drink and and like sexually assault you? Those things that like women actually do deal with on a consistent basis, they're... Um, very rightfully complaining about because this is what happened to Debbie. Um, so then we get an, a, like a very interesting exchange between Sean and Debbie that happens at this point. Yeah. Essentially, they're like, well, we want to understand what dot guys think of dates as. And so Debbie and Sean have a little conversation, which I'm sure we'll clip in right here. Don't you think that uh, guys and girls are looking for the same things on dates? Well, girls are looking for an evening of good conversation and, you know, the sense that you've made a genuine connection with another human being. You're not interested in making out? Well, maybe I am and maybe I'm not, but it shouldn't be expected because I went on a date with you. So how are we supposed to know what's okay? We'll let you know. Well, you don't let us know very clearly. Yes, we do. You just don't listen. You're too busy planning your next move to hear us say no. What? I think there are two things that Boy Meets World does well in this episode um, that are very, very interesting. Um, the first one is Sean asks Debbie, like, so like on dates, girls don't like they don't want to make out like what? Isn't that what a date is for? Like, don't you guys want to make out? And what's interesting here is Boy Meets World never falls into very common tropes around like boys versus girls with this topic. Because I do believe that like the tropey answer here would be that the girls have no sexual desire and are like, of course not. And I'm a I'm a chaste special girl and blah, blah, blah. Um, but what she says is, yeah, I might want to make out, but that's not all and there are like things that I would like to have happen besides that and needs that I need met before I feel comfortable doing that. But I do think Boy Meets World does it well in the sense that they're like they have a teenage girl on screen that they're very willing to allow her to be like, yeah, I love making out too. Making out is great, but that's not the only thing that I want. Yeah, there is. So they it's still Boy Meets World. And so they, they do not entirely separate themselves from this like gender essentialism. They actually don't have her say explicitly, yes, I like to make out. Um, her response is, 
well, maybe I do, but, um, you know. But it shouldn't be assumed just yeah. because we went on a date yeah. there, there's that no, that's going to happen. There's no actual affirmation that she has physical desires, and but you need to, like, uh, respect her boundaries. I don't know. I feel like, well, maybe I do is definitely an affirmation, right? Like, they're not they're not shutting well, that maybe down. I, do. saying, I know. Yeah. It's, just, it's not like an explicit affirmation that, hey, women also have sexual desires. Um, it's just, and they do sort of lean on the idea that, um, you know, Daddy wants, like, good conversation and to connect with another human being. And all boys want is to, to chase that tail. Whatever. We're saying the same thing just from oh, different sides roach. of the coin. Just like, well... What she says is, well, maybe I do, and there are limitations to this, uh, but it also is a lot more than they give, than other shows give their women characters for, like, a high school yes. show. Yes. And then Sean's response is, well, Debbie, if all you believe boys want to do is go too far, why date them at all? wildest possible response and an interesting theme that will be developed later in this episode so she's again telling him that men do this and he's not listening to what she is saying and instead is like well why date us at all because we're not going to stop we're not going to listen i'm not i sean i'm not going to listen to your experience here um so why why date us at all if that's all we do and i fucking love debbie i love her because you know what she does she's yep. like you're right. I bet. You are absolutely right, Sean. Bet. Goodbye. I am no longer dating men. I am she, out. what? I fucking love Daddy Debbie. was ahead of the class. She, <laughs> she, she, like, all right. Just no. She did not flinch. She did not fucking flinch. Um, she was like, you want to you wanna go on this one? Fine, baby. I will not be dating your little gropey ass. <laughs> uh, love you, Debbie. Love you, Debbie. And so clearly, though. Um, even though Sean was playing big, he's playing tough, he's playing defensive, clearly something's going on. Sean's reaction is interesting to what Debbie is saying, because he gets very, um, shall we say, defensive about it. Because he's not talking, Debbie is not talking about his behavior, or calling Sean Correct. out in a specific way. But Sean still has this like very strong reaction to it being described this way. It's a very, like, right. yes, all men... Um, like kind of thing where uh, toxic behavior is being described is like well not me and and women do bad things too and that kind of thing like he he's having a strong reaction to it and it, it is like a doth protest too much like I think something weighing on Sean um, yeah I think Sean's maybe had a couple of dates where maybe his hands have roamed a little bit further from his pockets than they possibly should have. Yeah, and this is something that is tricky to navigate when like you're like trying to frame consent or like talk about these things about like yes this actually is sexual assault and all that is it's a very hard sell when a man already has a bunch of shit that he's already done that he needs to contemplate. Um, and it, it fucking takes a lot to be like, oh, fuck. The things that I Perhaps did I am the were sexual assault. And that's fucked up and I need to stop. And so it's because you don't just have to deal with your future behavior. You have to deal with your past behavior, too. And yeah. that can be hard. Got to reconcile sell. with what yeah. you did. Yeah. Which is exactly what Sean has to deal mm -hmm. with. 
And the to to Sean's credit, though, I do believe that this actually stuck with him a little bit. Mm-hmm. He was clearly ruminating on it. It's clearly in the back of his head. Because, lo and behold, they walk into class, and that day's lesson is about black like me. And Zachary, I know, if I know anything about you, it's you did some research on black like me. Yeah. Tell the girls. Okay, so Black Like Me is a book by John Howard Griffin, published in 1961. It is a nonfiction story. It's like a real thing, real boots on the ground reporting uh, thing that this guy did, where he, he took a drug for an anti-vitiligo drug, like huge doses of it. And then like he would hang out for like 15 hours under an ultraviolet lamp. Um, yeah. in order to like darken his skin and then like he would patch it up uh, to just do the world's most committed blackface uh yeah go in the extra yeah. mile on the black Compl- yep complicated to digest in 2023 but this was um like meant to be a civil rights action at, like it was meant in like solidarity of like i am going to do some reporting on the plight of the black man in the south the whites especially the tourists had no reticence before us and no shame since we were negroes some wanted to know where they could find girls wanted us to get negro girls for them we learned to spot these from the moment they sat down they were immediately friendly and treated us with the warmth and courtesy of equals. I mentioned this to Sterling. Yeah, when they want to sin, they're very democratic, he said. And so he traveled throughout the South. His rules were that he would not misrepresent himself. He would, if asked, sort of explain what he was doing, which, Jesus Christ, that sounds risky. Um, But... Considering what they yeah. were doing to, like, uh, even white uh, activists uh, in the South at that time, that's a, a very principled rule, sir, to do. Right, um, right. And so it was this expose on uh, just what it was like and his uh, his adventures and, uh, like, the hate that he received and just, like, the antipathy. Uh, an interesting um, thing about like sort of like the history of American literature, Truman Capote is often uh, given credit uh, for In Cold Blood being the first uh, literary nonfiction novel. But um, Black Like Me and probably some others, but Black Like Me is earlier and it has anything that you would want to attribute to the literary nonfiction genre. Uh, Black Like Me has all, ticks all the boxes. So... Um, Ooh. <laughs> Spicy take. You guys didn't know that we were taking down Truman Capote in this episode, yeah, did you? Right up. Whoa. <laughs> so take that legacy. He did it. He was, uh, and uh, it got a lot of acclaim. And there was a big party where everybody celebrated the last time it was ever going to be okay for a white person to be do blackface. <laughs> <laughs> and then we all agreed. Yeah. We sat in a circle. We all agreed. Like, okay, that was cool but only you. (laughs) No do-overs. No, nothing. (laughs) But I do think all of Black Like Me can be summed up by Corey's line at the very beginning 
Um, which like this whole scene is a ton of subtext from everything after Mr. Feeney sort of explains what black like me is where Corey just asks or he says, wouldn't it have been easier to just ask? Yeah. Uh, uh, such a funny thing <laughs> to say. <laughs> Cause it's like so blatantly like correct. Oh, like, yeah. Wouldn't it have so, been easy to just yeah, ask? Boy meets world. They're getting in that red Corvette and they're driving right past the point. <laughs> going in a fun new direction. Yes, yes. Wouldn't it have been easy to just ask, right? And so Mr. Feeney explains, well, uh, because of racism, he doesn't say it this way. He's like the most political way of saying white people didn't believe black people, so they needed a white person to pretend to be black so that black people could be believed. Yeah, yeah. That is what Mr. Feeney essentially says in a much more like politically uh, delicate yeah. way so that he could experience life through the perspective of the black man. Wouldn't it have been easier to just ask? <laughs> well, there was such distrust between the races that Griffin felt that only by becoming black could he begin to understand the horrors of segregation. There was distrust and amongst the races, <laughs> therefore. Distrust amongst yeah, the races. Yeah, there was a lot of yes. back and forth. But I think, like, obviously, again, the subtext of the scene is, like, this is exactly what just happened to Sean and Corey, like, in the hallway. Mm -hmm. When Debbie was telling them her experience, they did not listen. They did not believe her, right? So they could have just asked, but the point being, when Co Sean and Corey just asked, right? They didn't believe Debbie's experience. And so instead of taking the message of like, maybe we should believe people who aren't white men about what they're experiencing. No, 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 no. What Sean and Corey decide they need to do is say, well, clearly white men will only understand the plights of marginalized people when they personally experience it themselves that is the only way that these people can be verified and believed so corey obviously what your article should be in the paper is we dress up as women and we verify that lying bitch debbie's story yeah up on about rewatch 18 um but mr feeney does not presumably hear them having the conversation at the same volume that they're speaking all of their dialogue about doing the girl like me, chick like me scenario. But when Sean, as an aside, calls Corey's article that he's currently writing, the humorist article, trash, uh, Mr. Feeney's like, yeah, it's trash. He jumps in and says, yeah, it's trash. But then when Corey's like, Mrs. Matthew, Mr. Feeney's like, what? Uh, very selective hearing. He um, just want to say this that does not track. Yeah. Um, Boy Meets World has one of the most aggressive cases of like um, <laughs> sitcom deafness. You can hear what we'll say you'll hear. Yeah. Like uh, the sets are very tiny. Uh, <laughs> this wasn't like a big budget show. Uh, and so like there are lots of times, especially it's most egregious in the hallway because they'll be saying so, like such personal shit. Uh, about someone that's like you could touch them <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely absolutely true so then uh um... i do want to say um about the line of well why couldn't they just ask 
that reminded me of my favorite Maria Bamford bit. I wish that science, if there is a science, uh, would come up with a brain ride where you could take a ride in someone's brain and see all their thoughts and their memories and their feelings and why they do the things they do and why they feel the way they do. And I know there's a low-tech version just called listening, but I want a ride! <laughs> that's that is exactly that's what, what this episode um, is it's that maria Bamford yeah. joke yes Corey and sean want the ride um they want they want the the chick like me ride and so they presumably go to the mall and spend a shitload of money on a new wardrobe it, this was not a cheap shopping trip they're coming back with a wonder bra that is expensive yeah they're coming back with multiple new dresses that is expensive. And presumably, we're going to talk about it, but wigs. These boys have access to wigs. They have access to wig caps. They have access to wig pins and wig glues. These boys have access to wigs, and they know how to use it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So they go back to the house. Corey and Sean did a little kiki. They went shopping. They got Corey a bra. They got Corey some dresses. This scene is interesting. Mm -hmm. Hey, son, how was your day? Fine. What'd you do in school? Nothing. Hey, hold on. Wait there. You know, every day I ask you, what did you do? And every day you tell me nothing. Well, I'm tired of nothing. I mean, we both know something happened today, and I want to know what it is. I decided to be a girl. <laughs> <laughs> well, you taught me a very valuable lesson there, son. The choice of words Corey chooses here are, I decided to be a girl. Interesting way to phrase it. Clearly they're phrasing this for the purposes of comedy because the dad reacts shocked and upset and horrified that his son wants to be As a girl. Well, Corey, you taught me a valuable lesson about expressing interest in my children's lives. <laughs> Corey's mom, very open to the idea once they it's explained. But even after it's explained, Corey's dad is not open to yeah. it. And here, I, I'm going to spoil my take on some stuff for everybody right now. But I do want to say it while we're talking about this particular scene. So my overall take on this episode as it relates to gender identity and sort of queerness and transness is that I actually think it is pretty charitable about a few things that we'll talk about later on in that they're not really disgusted by the idea of transness, which I know I understand is a super low bar, right? This is an early 90s show targeted at teenagers. So my I'm grading on a curve. But like, there's not a ton of disgust, right? Like even when Corey expresses attraction for Sean dressed as a woman, it's not like meant as a joke of disgust. Uh, they don't humiliate the boy that Sean goes on a date with for having been attracted to um, a boy dressed like a woman. Mm -hmm. So uh, th there's not, you know, they're, they're, they're somewhat charitable in those regards. Yeah. Um, but this particular scene made me sad where Corey's dad reacts so harshly. And again, I am fully aware that this was a 90s children's show and like this bit was played for laughs, but that's kind of what makes me sad. Yeah. 
because you can imagine all of the people who were watching this that we grew up with, Zach, who have since, you know, come out as trans. And so you're watching this and I'm thinking through all of those people who at that point in time may have been struggling with gender identity of their own. And then they see this joke played out where Corey says, I want to be a girl. And the dad reacts with like horror and disgust, reminding them that Corey's doing this for a bit and can be easily explained away. But for those people, that is their reality of like how they actually feel. And to see it reinforced as a father figure who's often very kind and gentle and good with his son reacting with like such strong disgust. It's just, it's a little bit disheartening. And so I just think of all of those people who like had those feelings and then watched that scene and like it probably set them back in their journey, you know, another um, yeah. period of time. Yeah, they, he, his father shows so much empathy to Corey on so many diverse topics. Uh, kind of a bummer that they didn't have like more of a uh, cool with it thing. That Feeney gets like a C minus, but we'll get to that. <laughs> C minus. Yeah. C minus. Yeah. Um, that, that, like, but the dad gets an F. The mom gets like a B. Yeah. <laughs> She's pretty like chill with it overall. Yeah. Uh, she was um, asked questions first. Shoot later. <laughs> yeah. Her reaction. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Topanga A plus. A plus. Topanga is. To, a plus 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 plus. Topanga is the girl that you pray as a little queer person in high school that you meet that you have a Topanga in your life. I pray to you, if you are in that stage where you are figuring yourself out, my fucking God, I pray for you, you find your Topanga. Find your Topanga. But I do like what follows, which is Corey then explains his plan to Topanga. And her only real feedback is not in that dress. Mm -hmm. So she says, baby, let's drag you up. But we're going to make you are going to look absolutely fucking sick. I am not letting you out of the house in that dress. Uh, and Corey, uh, the way Corey does the next line, I love, I love. It's so good. Make Corey pretty. Oh, make, oh, it was a different one. I, I loved when he said, I'm a journalist, Dag Mabbitt. And he's like rubbing his nipples. <laughs> yes, he does do that. But then like he's like, that's why I need your help, Topanga. And Topanga's like, you want me to help you, you know, be a convincing girl? And he's like, yes. Make Corey pretty. I, so when they show what the boys picked out for Corey, um, I think it's interesting. I have been privileged to twice in my life been on a shopping trip with trans women, like as they were like doing their first like shopping, um, like to transition and then like going through like their taste, like their first instincts untouched by like actual experience is like what they've been dreaming of. And, um, and it's not what Corey pulls out of the bag, I, by the way. I would, uh, well, I've I've only had it happen twice, but here's the thing. Corey pulls out um, this... The first one is, it seems to be snowflakes. It's a red dress, snowflakes. Very, like... I read it as polka dots. Um, I had I, I sort of zoomed in as much as I could, but the resolution wasn't great. Uh, like a Minnie Mouse Yeah, it's a Minnie Mouse thing. sort red of white. dress with, like, a square uh, bust area. Um, and sort of fairly conservative. Um, and then the next one was just like a, a straight up old lady dress. It was straight like up laces, uh, floral prints. Um, yeah, like it's what my mom would have put us in for like church picture day in the 90s. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and but what, what I will say is that 
one thing, one pattern in my limited experience is there is an attraction to those floral, floral prints, which is the first time that you're getting to dress femme. There is just a desire that I yeah. want to wear flowers. And, um, and I, I just thought it was sweet, even accidentally, uh, <laughs> that yeah. uh, Corey, when given the opportunity to dress femme for the first time, expressed, I want to wear flowers. That is very I choose sweet. to read yes. it that way. Let's let's go ahead and read it that way. It's very sweet. It's clear that they put thought and effort into trying to pick out this clothing. It wasn't just like stuff, and then like they ran through Victoria's Secret as fast as they could. They clearly thought they about did. it. They connected and they tried their goddamn they best tried on bras. using the taste. They tried on bras. You know, they really worked uh, to put the look together. But they they you know they needed Topanga's touch, or did they? Because Topanga did him dirty. Scene. Zachary is right. Topanga did him absolutely dirty because honey it's busted the wig is a shake and go wig hasn't even been brushed out the dress is like buttoned incorrectly those lips are not lined honey um she was not helping him feel the fantasy at absolutely all. not like um i don't know if Corey like insisted on doing the lipstick himself but uh, bold red lip not the look to have gone for i have to say uh, no no contouring yeah. There was not she could mm-hmm. Topanga, you were asked to do this, uh, and and you did not. You didn't throw your ass into it, girl. Yeah. There's no way, Topanga, that like you're you're looking at that version of Corey and saying you're interested in that. He's very much in his drag, like uh drag princess phase, if we're go taking the language from uh Tu Wong Fu, uh the excellent drag film. He's he's very much in his he's a drag baby. Come on now, we won't laugh. You're not seeing what I'm seeing. <laughs> hey, Cor, come on, buddy. You're gonna write an article that means something. You're gonna make a difference not only in our lives, but in the lives of guys and girls everywhere. You're not seeing what I'm seeing. <laughs> come on, Cor, how bad a girl could you be? <laughs> okay, back. You know what, I look, I look fat. They say, you know what, Corey, yeah, you may feel a little busted and look a little busted, but it's all about that walk, girl. You got to sissy that walk. And so they say, give us a walk, baby. Strut, honey. And Corey struts and it's, it's terrible. You know, he's, he's getting booted first on America's Next Top Model. He is not going to make he's the runway half pen. Um, and so hold on. I do want to say that. Corey's dismay at the fact that he was, when in drag, was not an attractive woman uh, is interesting. First, uh, I think it's interesting that he he doesn't seem to have ever had a problem with his weight um, before this. But when he is dressed as a woman, he says that he feels fat. Um, Yeah, I mean, the the metrics have changed. Yeah, yeah. On your body and what is expected of your body. When you're performing as a woman, then you are being held to the standard of women, which is a lot more unforgiving, which reminds me of possibly my favorite YouTube video of all time, where... This is the one I threw a fit about watching. uh, Where Academy Award winning Dustin Hoffman uh, is discussing his seminal film, Tootsie, and... um, He's talking about him doing like test test makeup to see what he looks like in drag in preparation mm-hmm. for uh, the movie. 
unless I could walk down the streets of New York and not have addressed as a woman and not have people turn and say, who's that guy in drag? Or turn for any reason that, you know, who's that freak? Unless I could do that, I didn't want to make the film. I didn't want the audience to suspend their, 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 their believability. When we got to that point and looked at it on screen, I was shocked that I wasn't more attractive. And uh, I said, now you have me looking like a woman. Now make me a beautiful woman. Because I thought I should be beautiful. I, if I was going to be a woman, I would want to be as beautiful as possible. And they said to me, that's as good as it gets. Uh, that's as, as beautiful as we can get you, <laughs> Charlie. And it was at that moment that I had a, an epiphany, and I went home and started crying, uh, talking to my wife. And I said, I have to make this picture. And she said, why? And I said, because I think I'm an interesting woman when I look at myself on screen. And I know that if I met myself at a party, I would never talk to her, that character because she doesn't fulfill physically the demands that we're brought up to think we have, women have to have in order for us to ask them out. She says, what are you saying? And I said, there's a, too many interesting women I have I have, I, I have not had the experience to know in this life because I have been brainwashed and that was never a comedy for me. To be that person that put Dustin Hoffman in drag in that moment and to have him look you in the eye pleading, saying, please be make pretty. me beautiful. And you get to serve cunt enough to look him back in the face and say, that's as that's good as, as, good it's, as gonna it's gonna get. fucking get. <gasps> like there, I just wish it were me. Yeah. I wish, I wish I could have looked him straight in the face and said, that makeup that's it, artist Dusty. has the best holly like hollywood celebrity story of all all time like i'm sure when you work yeah. in the industry like in those kind of professions you're going to parties and stuff you're trading like anecdotes about different kinds of things and that person is just like sitting there waiting for everybody waiting to, for their to, turn like uh shelly long's yogurt story get that shit over with <laughs> um because she knows they know that they're gonna win they, they know that they've got yeah. the plot where i made dust i was there when dustin Hoffman realized he wasn't a pretty girl. <laughs> I'm the person that made Dustin Hoffman realize that ugly women are people and too. Dustin Hoffman in the video says that he told his wife, I gotta make this film. <laughs> I have to make I, this film. <laughs> ugly women need a voice. And it, it was essentially a chick like me mm -hmm. moment yeah. where Dustin Hoffman said, men need to know. Men need to believe. Experience. Yeah. <laughs> And by God, if Dustin Hoffman didn't make them film, he did. And that this is the revelation that Corey has. Corey realizes, oh my God, I'm not a pretty girl. And he doesn't uh, know how to walk. He leans into it. He leans into it yeah. later. We'll talk about that. Corey understands where his strengths are. And you know what? He's not going to come in to, to Drag Race and he's not going to be one of those girls who are serving supermodel, right? That's not going to be his angle. He had to figure out how he's going to win the race. We'll talk about it later. 
Um, but he, they say, sissy that walk, Corey. He cannot sissy that walk. But you know who can? You know who can serve the walk and the look and the face and the body? Yeah. Sean. It is Sean, baby. So Sean says, no, 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 Corey. That's not how girls walk. I know how girls walk. Yeah. So. And he turns around and he struts. So they, yeah, he struts and does it. He does like a catwalk and it's just so clear. Sean, you have to be the girl. You're, you have to you're be the girl. our girl, Sean. You're our girl. You're She's the one. So interesting one. moment. And a lot and of things happened in like this 30 seconds of television. I'm so interested to see if you pick up on the same thing I pick up on. So uh, uh, it's nobody prompts Sean to do this. <laughs> yes. Okay. This is what I want to get at, too, is I think there is something here in this episode that is like deep, deep, deep subtext that you only get if you watch it like 20 times. Sean might have some gender stuff. Sean has some gender stuff here. That from now, for the rest of it, from this point on, we're gonna be talking. I I have stuff to say about Sean's got some gender stuff. stuff. So there was something about the scene that was bugging me that I couldn't get out of my head. And I'm watching it, and I'm watching it, and I'm watching it, and so Sean does the like. Sean says, "You know, girls don't walk like that. Girls kind of float. This is how girls walk." And Topanga looks at him. And Topanga has a spark of realization that there's maybe something going on with Sean a little bit. And she read a, she, she reads a line and she goes, a little on the nose there, Sean. Okay, look, Court, you, you're missing the obvious. Girls just glide more. They're more at ease. You gotta kind of let it flow. It's pretty right on the nose there, Sean. Yeah, well, girls are my area. I like girls. And the way she read that was bugging me and bugging me and bugging me. I couldn't figure out what it was. And then I thought about it, and it's what I said. Topanga sees something she in sees Sean. She sees something. Where Sean has some gender issues kind of going on yeah. in this episode. Like this man who's like, he's clearly attracted to women, right? That, that's not an issue. He doesn't have any issues with like sexual attraction. But there's some gender stuff going on with there's Sean. There's some gender stuff. Maybe somebody who's not 100% comfortable living in the world of masculinity. And clearly is interested in this idea of femininity and so he initially kind of resists being the girl he says no 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 but there's something there with sean and and we see it in the next well there is this line that i really like because um in sitcoms when you're doing like gender play stuff there's always this very like ham-handed like reminder we are heterosexuals uh we yes. are you know, you know this is this is happening but this is only by circumstances we fuck women we fuck women we fuck, and so women. They, we fuck women so they put that in the script but the way that writer strong uh sean's actor uh delivers the line is so tender and like playful and dreamy uh when he says i like girls i Girls are my Girls thing. Are my thing. Girls are my and specialty. And he like cocks his head and it's so dreamy and soft that he just delivers yeah. it in this very tender way that it's it's more than like that genre of line uh, that you see. A hundred percent. It's more than the objectification of women. I like women as yeah. object to have. It is, I like the idea of, I like the expression of femininity. I, yeah. It's almost like he is saying, I like femininity 
Like I like femininity. Yes, I like the way I like that presentation in the world. And again, Corey oblivious. Topanga picks up on it. Mm. She says, I think I know what's going on here. I've got this a little bit. And so Sean's our girl. Sean is our girl. And okay, so they bust. Corey's busted in drag initially. Sean steps in looking like supermodel of the universe. Okay. She is slaying. First of all, where, how are they getting the access to these wigs? Where are these boys getting these wigs? Because she's got a perfect wig. Hair is coiffed, honey. Okay. It is styled. It's beautiful. She's got a little clip. Beautiful brown hair. Makeup beat for the gods, right? Faces beat for the gods. They gave her green eyeshadow. And you know what? She's serving it. She's absolutely serving it. She's got the, the red lip, but it's not like the ghastly red lip. She's contoured. She looks good. She's got a red skirt on and some boots. And Sean goes, why is everybody looking at me? And what I love about this is he that likes it. we are doing the most sitcom-y trope, though. Before we get to the cute mm-hmm. part, we get to the, we do the most sitcom-y trope where it's like, if I showed up one day trying to present more masculine, everyone would look at me and go, that is Jessica. She's just in like different clothing. You've went and like presenting different. You went to the same school district your you entire life. You go to the life. same school. This is the same school with everybody you've been in school with since you were a child, and not a single person is like clocking like, "Hey, that's just Sean in like a dress and makeup." Yeah. Let- so he's like, "Why are they looking at me?" And Corey's like, "Cause you're gorgeous, not because like." Sean showed up in a dress. I mean, it's clear that they are attracted. Like, there's this one guy that, like, he does a full cartoon, like, peek out the, uh, the height over the corner. It's very much like, (laughs) There's a lot of that happening. Very conservative dress, to be honest. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the the skirt is short. It would not have passed the fingertips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sean presenting as a girl looks gorgeous. It's just the very sitcom thing of like, I put on glasses and I'm a completely different person. You can't recognize me. The only one who clocks it is Mr. Feeney, which we'll talk about here in a moment. But before we get to that, um, it's very sweet that Corey's response to Sean on why everybody looks at is looking at him is not like, well, because they're wondering why you suddenly decided to radically change your gender presentation the response is sean you're kind of a babe yeah and Corey offers to carry his books. i know and what does sean say when his friend uh offers to carry his books why is everybody staring what are they looking at well sean i don't want you to take this the wrong way but you're kind of a babe <laughs> really yeah you want me to like carry your books for you? <laughs> I, I get that. Yeah, thanks. He says. He says. Oh, I get that. Now. Oh, I get that. I get to yeah. be treated special and like. You see me and you recognize me and you see me as a girl and I you are treating me in the world as a girl and I am getting like gender euphoria he from that experience. He is so pleased that he gets. He's so pleased. You're gonna hold my books. You're gonna affirm me in that way. Yes, complete gender joy that Sean through, is experiencing. Through this whole scene, um, there is like what the script gave him and the, what Writer Strong 
like chose to do with it because Ryder Strong throughout all of this he is he's preening like a kitten he is like moving mm-hmm. his shoulders he's like uh smiling the entire time uh yeah it feels more confident and like joyous on scene in the gender presentation as a woman than he ever does as like boy yeah Sean. he is just Sean is having a wonderful day lighting he up is a room for a day and he lighting is lighting up it. a room um he is loving it. So Corey's carrying Sean's books and then he sees Topanga. And like Corey is like big horny for girl Sean. And Topanga sees Corey carrying Sean's books and she's like, what's going on here? And then Corey's like, well, we wanted to make sure we're we're passing it off, right? We want, to, we want Sean to look real. And, and Topanga goes, well, you never carried my books. And then Corey looks at girl Sean and says, well, look at her. Mm-hmm. Corey is so mad horny for his best friend in drag. And here's the thing that I love about it. It is never played as like gross. Yeah. Topanga has made a bargain with reality. She had like, so there are a few ways that you can read this. It, it, uh, one is that Topanga has other things on her mind. And like to, to her, Corey is a ticked box of just like... <laughs> <laughs> Corey is safe. I have a boy. Nobody can hold that he against me. He is obsessed yeah. with me. Like... If I die, the cats will not eat me. Corey will call the police. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> like she's good. That's just settled. Corey is settled. And so she's actually not too worried because she does seem to have very clear eyes about the Sean and Corey situation. Let me run through a few lines in the show's history um, of these two, Corey and Sean. Yeah, there's there's something going on here. On the on their wedding day, let's talk about when Topanga and Corey get married. How can there be anything wrong between you and Corey? You love him more than I do. It's true, but I'm okay with it. And then Sean like ruins their fucking wedding by having like a tantrum during the ceremony, and like they have to like sit down and have mm-hmm. a heart to heart about how important uh, Sean is. Like Sean was devastated when they got mm-hmm. married. And yeah. uh, Angela, uh, late season girlfriend of Sean, uh, she drops the bomb that um, it, Sean has never said another woman's name uh, during sex, but he has said Corey's. That is a line, folks. Yep. I'll play it for you. And all the time that you were with Sean, did he ever call out the name Topanga? No, but he called out the name Corey. <laughs> in, in what context? In Boy Meets yep. World, like, here's canonically, the... <laughs> during sex with Angela, shouted Corey's name. Yeah. Yep. Yep, 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 yep. Um, there's something there's... here, folks, because, you know, look, um, apparently I'm talking a lot of porn today, but you could take a lot of Corey and Sean's dialogue and it will be, like, you could lift it, like, the general plot of it, and, like, it will be the first, like, four minutes of gay porn that you scroll through before the deed occurs. Like, that is the that is the tenor of their relationship. Yeah. Is the first four minutes of gay porn. <laughs> they play with this idea a lot of the uh, queer bait. They invented queer baiting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they, they also do it with Eric and uh, oh, Sean's yeah. brother. Can't remember his name. 
literally Sean's brother in like this fantasy where like he's at war. He has a picture of Eric as like his girl back home. It showed us a lot of queer baiting. Why don't you just marry Sean? Living on the edge, babe. <laughs> I like when you call me babe. I'm even wearing my uh, red turtleneck for the romantic carriage ride. So, what are you wearing? A pair of jeans, <laughs> the same shirt I've had on for a week, and Tommy Hilfiger socks. Yes, very much queer baiting because they're never gonna like actually let any of their characters be queer, but they do like to play with this concept. And what I do love about it is like, there is no question that Corey is obsessed with Topanga. There's no question about that. Like he clearly is, and he, he clearly is like sexually attracted to her and loves that. But he is also sexually attracted to Sean, at, at least Sean, girl Sean. Uh, yeah, uh, Topanga like expresses a few times in the series her attraction to women. It is sort of like for its time, it is a fairly- Fairly progressive yeah. text in terms of like at least expressing the attraction. They have a- um, in subtext they have otherwise. a transgender coach uh that is sort of like played for laughs a little bit but uh not as hateful as it could have been it was like uh <laughs> Corey says uh about topanga it's like she went away for the summer she came back a woman and sean um says yeah like coach carter and then this like beautiful runway model um like walks by <laughs> i think the show was very good at um, promoting vulnerability and emotional intimacy between men and talking about the importance of that and that being close to other men and being tender with other men is nothing to be ashamed of and it is to be encouraged. You need Facts. you need a support in your life and there's nothing wrong with having uh, healthy relationships with uh, men. Um, and so I do not want to undermine that their intention with that um, by, you know, being like, ha, 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 they were gay. But they also, the show plays with that idea. And um, in a time when you weren't, especially for like youth media, you weren't getting any queer representation at this time. And oh, no. so lots of queer people. You squint your yeah, eyes. Lots of queer people. You don't even have to squint that hard. Like, it is a valid-ass reading. Sean yelled Corey's name out during sex. Like, it is... It's a valid-ass yeah, reading. Yeah, so I, I accept both interpretations. You can accept <laughs> Sean at, and Corey as, like, the platonic ideal of friendship. Um, but they're also, like, clearly gay. <laughs> like... Yeah, and, the, like, there's a thruple situation happening. Yeah, um, Topanga knows. She knows. Like, I think she's part of it. Like, like I said, Corey is like, it's not like Corey is not attracted to Topanga. Like that is also like a very clear canonical reading. It's not like he is just like only attracted to Sean. Like, I do think that there is both sides of the aisle being played. Like, so the, I, I can tell you as a little gay boy, what my reading of it was. Um... <laughs> Okay, but I'm just going to say up front, there is an entire Boy Meets World episode spent in bed where Cory and Topanga just fuck the whole day. No, this is, yeah, that is true. Like, both of them are attracted to women. That's just, like, undeniable. Um, but yes. uh, Sean, how I read it is, um, like, prior to the show, how I felt about these characters, Sean is often framed as sort of this somewhat 
queer-ish figure. Um, he is on the yeah. he's born on the other side of the tracks. He does not have a traditional family. He um, floats uh, between different places. He does not have a secure living situation. Um, Correct. He uh, is always outside of the very safe white middle class bubble that um, that Corey lives in. It is often like highlighted that Sean does not have the privileges that Corey does. And it's usually like the economics that they use to highlight this. But it's just so much that like Corey is the vanilla and Sean mm-hmm. is the other. Um, in like yeah, oh, many yeah. different kinds of stories, there are many different kind of iterations of this. Like Sean gets into the mob at one point. Um, and like... <laughs> oh, damn it, I love Disney shows. <laughs> um, and so that's kind of like the framing of it is that he is in this sort of like liminal, like queer-ish space, outsider space, if you object to maybe yeah. queer in that conversation. Definitely outsider space. Definitely and outsider. So, like, he could literally be in the cast of The Outsiders. And so I think Sean is just, like, in love with Corey. Like, I think Sean yes. is conscious of the situation that he loves Corey. He 100%. wants He wants that, like, relationship. But he knows that Corey, while he may have, like, bisexual tendencies, um, it's never... Because Corey can opt out of it. He's got that ticked box. He's got Topanga. So he's not going to go through the life of a queer man because he doesn't have to. He has Topanga. That's settled. So Corey has that comfort um, and uh, Sean doesn't. And so Sean would literally in the finale uproots his life to follow Corey and Topanga um, and to like their new location. Um, Yeah. Yeah, definitely the poster child for like in love with an unavailable straight guy. Yeah, it is like he is the like Christ-like figure of just like he full on was a martyr for loving his straight man. Um, honey, <laughs> honey, sweetie, it's not gonna happen. <laughs> Veronica, it's not gonna He's full happen. On. I remember, listen, folks, I'm gonna be real vulnerable with you right now. I I spent my high school. Uh, years uh, fucking in love with a straight boy. Uh, just following around, having fantasy, literally like a Sean Topanga uh, like fantasies of just like, I'll be his next door neighbor. <laughs> I'll be his next door neighbor and uh, and I'll just be his really, 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 really good friend for the rest of my life. Because that's not yeah, all you we need because it's so beautiful. <laughs> You were almost, you were almost Sean. Yeah, I was almost Sean. You were almost Sean. Thank God you came to college. Yeah. Thank God. Like, I I went to (laughs) Chicago specifically to be like, I have to get out of this. Like, as far away as humanly possible. He was assuming that I would go to the same college as him. And I really had a moment of myself of like, this can't be my life. This can't be my life, <laughs> so I went to Chicago instead. And now you got a podcast out of it. Yeah. Isn't that so much better than living across the street from your unavailable straight friend? There's a window in an alternate universe where that that's your life. Um, and I'm so glad I'm it's just not. Like a very involved Yay. neighbor. Uh, <laughs> but that is Sean's yeah. life. That is Sean's life. And so Corey attracted to his friend in girl form, um, and they have to decide a name. <gasps> 
Love this. They have to decide a name. And so Corey, sweet, poor, simple Corey, he's just throwing out names. What does it matter? What does it matter Corey what your name is? Corey doesn't understand the gravity of this. Corey doesn't understand. Corey doesn't understand, but you know who does? Topanga, Topanga. looks Sean in the eyes with knowing and understanding and love as a friend and says nothing but love and understanding and warmth into pink like, so sean how does it feel to be wearing pantyhose not sean no oh, you're right yeah he needs a girl's name okay this is easy how about janet no 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 no, not, not janet what possible difference could it make Corey, you've thought about this before haven't you a little and what name have you thought about well veronica <laughs> The actress and like how she delivered this line, she gave it the gravity. She did such an amazing line. Both of those actors, they did a lot to give this script some stuff that like I don't think was ever intended. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. They were like, we are going to, it, it, we're going to do extreme empathy in this script, and that is what we are playing yeah. here. Tangle looks at him and says, "You've thought about this before, haven't you, Sean? What name?" And Sean had. And Sean did. What name? He answers. This is. <laughs> like, I've said before, I have been heavily involved in like two trans women transitioning, and this is just so fucking sweet. Uh, he says, Veronica. He's been carrying around Veronica. He's been carrying around Veronica. Veronica's always been so, there. He's thought about this. Nice to meet this. you, Veronica. He knew what he wanted. It was Veronica, and she's here. And so we meet Veronica. Because again, Corey doesn't understand. Corey says, this is just for an article, dude. Choose a name. Be Eleanor. I don't fucking care. But it's important to Sean. It's important to Sean. It's important to Sean because he's always had Veronica there. And Topanga saw it. Topanga looked him in the eye and she knew. She knew there's something Sean's carrying. And she called it out. And so we meet Veronica. And then... I'm not sure if this comes before or after, but then we also have a point I do want to call out where yeah. Mr. Feeney walks right by. Good morning, Miss Lawrence, Mr. Matthews, Mr. Hunter. <laughs> if there's anything you need to talk about, my door is always open. I'm not here to judge. For an article we're writing, Mr. Feeney. I am not here to judge. Let me tell you what. <laughs> Let me tell you what. That bitch does judge. It does. Yeah. That bitch absolutely judges. So, mm-hmm. Uh, we'll talk about that at the end. But once he sees pictures of Veronica and Corey, uh, he says, the pictures were disturbing. The most judgmental fucking phrase you could choose, Mr. Feeney. So... Turns out maybe, maybe he meant it in Mr. Like, Feeney uh, does judge. He was doing it like a RuPaul's Drag Race. Like, tooted or booted. He was he was booting their looks. He was booting the looks. <laughs> that is the kindest reading we could yeah. offer. Yeah. So all these boys are checking Sean out. And he's like, whose name is Sean going to put in his blank space? Um, mm -hmm. and, yeah. It's time for Veronica to find her suitor. And so a boy who is clearly like... 10 years older than yeah, everyone in this high school. United States Senator just like rolling up in this high school. Like a grown ass yeah. man up in this high school um, locks eyes with Veronica and says she is the one. He is magnetically pulled you to her. You talked to this man the day before 
<laughs> yes, had a full ass conversation with Sean, not in drag, a day before. Standing in the same now... place that he's currently standing. Uh, and this <laughs> yes. guy is, uh, whatever. Yeah, D- suspension of disbelief, baby. They He chooses yeah. to see what he wanted to see. And what he wanted to see was Veronica. Yeah. And, and so... So Veronica gets asked out on a little date. Um, Sean is a little hesitant because, you know, hey, Friday's his normal date night. He doesn't want to go on this date with, I don't know, fucking Brad or whatever his name is. And, you know, Corey and Topanga say, sorry, buddy, you're going on this date. And we're going to talk more about this. But I do, uh, it gets to a point where I do question Corey's journalistic integrity. So they go on a date. I don't think we need to spend too much more time about the asking out. Of- Again, I'll just emphasize how much Sean is loving this attention. He is loving, 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 he is loving being desired in this way. Absolutely. Uh, meaning, like twisting. He gives like this, um, like, oh, Saturday night's my date night. And then his best buddy says, it's still your date night, Veronica. It still is, Veronica, girly. And uh, then he, like, gives his very, like, ho-hum, doff protest too much. Like, oh, I guess I'll go on a date. <laughs> this I'll give up a Saturday. Ugh. And then he goes. And then we're at Chubby's where he's going to tell her what teachers to avoid. Because presumably he's on staff. Because he is, again, 10 years older than yeah, everyone yeah. else. But um, we're at Chubby's and this is the date. And it's an interesting scene with a lot to unpack. Lots. Okay. So they are sitting on the same side of the booth. Um, Classic. Interesting, Sean. Interesting that that's the play. Interesting that you're fine. Yeah. Like Sean's Sean's fine with it. Like, you would think this uh, heterosexual cisgendered uh, boy uh, would, you know, want to be like on opposite sides of the table, you know? Do everything humanly possible to distance himself yeah, but from this person. Sean's just dedicated to... Be disgusted by his yeah, attention. He's, but he's Sean dedicated, is dedicated to his best friend's uh, school newspaper column. So, mm-hmm. That's what he's dedicated yeah. to. It's his best friend's school newspaper column. That's the thing that he's, oh, he's to dedicated to. Again. Uh, <laughs> They're having a conversation, and the the man that Veronica, Sean, is out on a date with is finding lots of excuses to touch Veronica. What a surprise. Yeah. There is one subtle moment that I like, and uh, girls out there, this is the power move. Uh, if for any time anyone tries this like cheesy thing and you're not into it, uh, which I, I don't even know if happens, um, where he orders a milkshake with two straws, and Sean is like, I'll have the same. So they're just going to have two milkshakes with four, four two straws. Two milkshakes, four straws. I do yeah. love that. They're in the booth canoodling. Who should roll up but Corey? And he has upped his he's drag. He's found his drag. He's found sona. his voice. He's found his voice. Yeah, he's found his drag sona. How you doing, honey? And Cora, I'll be your waitress this evening. I come in here a lot and I've never seen you before. Quit hitting on me. <laughs> he is now the older waitress of Chubby's. And so he's playing waitress. He's got the full waitress get up like a uh, like an old lady wig 
going on. Again, access to wigs. These boys have access to wigs. And so full drag Sona, he's doing a voice, you know, and he's there to take their order, uh, be involved in the date as much as possible. And so that's just a little bit of scene setting. The waitress comes to take their order. I mean, so I, I still, I want to unpack, uh, because if anybody, if you have someone that's like new to queer concepts and they are confused about the difference between drag and like uh, trans people or like that, um, you can show them this episode and Corey is doing drag and Sean is doing like, Gender exploration. He's doing gender play. He's doing gender uh, exploration or experimentation. He's exploring. He's exploring. He is. He's attempting to inhabit the sort of like lived reality of being a woman as opposed to Corey, who is putting on a character. Putting on a character and doing gender play, but in a different way. What I do find interesting here, if we're going to talk about the performance of femininity and how you manage that, this man is taking every opportunity to touch Veronica Sean and you know um you know saying oh you have good legs right and like touching her legs touching her shoulder and he keeps saying no stop I don't want this right please stop and this boy is relentless about it we do hear Sean repeat the line that Debbie had said earlier in terms of you know I'm saying no but you just don't know how to listen little trouble breathing. You're crowding me a bit. Oh, maybe you're just tense. Now how about I rub your shoulders? You know, I, I didn't ask you to do that. Yeah, but doesn't it feel good? You're, you're not listening to me. <laughs> Whoa, you're a strong one. Yeah, I, I play a little field hockey. Yeah, I knew that. Because the first thing I noticed were your legs. Yeah. What's the matter? You just don't listen. You're too busy planning your next move to hear us say no. Right, which is what Debbie had told him earlier. Ah, the lesson of the episode, which is not about yeah. <laughs> like Sean's ex- like experience with gender, which is actually what I took from it. But the lesson that they're trying to teach you in the episode is finally seeking in for Sean that women do have these experiences with men. And so uh, he gets up and he goes and talks to Corey, and then also Topanga's there again, the most supportive girlfriend in the world, who is just letting her boyfriend go on this journey with his yeah. friend. You know, he needs to do this. He needs to find himself and Topanga's going to be there to help him come into his drag sona and for Veronica to find herself. And so this is where things get a little bit dicey for me with Corey's journalistic ethics. And because Sean is coming over saying, at this point, I've become uncomfortable with how this man is crossing my boundaries. He's touching me in a way that I don't want to be touched. I have said no to him. I really don't like this, and I am deeply uncomfortable. And Corey's response is, get back yeah, in there. So get back in the game. Sean's body language, it's like the tone of his voice, is he feels violated. Touched me. Where? On my knee. It's my knee. What makes him think that it's his knee? Maybe you sent him a signal. The only signal I sent him was stop it. And he didn't listen. I'm not like that. I'm not. I never will be again. Okay, well, here he comes. No, 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 I quit. You can't. We have an article to finish. <gasps> like, Violated. he has had this, like, gender euphoria, uh, like, with being desired, and now he is, like, feeling the dark side of that. 
of um, being so desired that your consent doesn't matter. Um, and he like he's physically recoiling. He is like shrunk down and hunched. Exactly. And he's like sort of talking in a slightly um, affected like child way of just like that was my knee. He touched my knee. Who told him? What that he makes could touch him think he knee? has the right to that? He f- yeah. Who said it yeah, was his so knee? So it is genuinely visceral. He feels violated and hurt and objectified. Exactly. Exactly. And like, what's interesting about how they do this in this episode is what Sean is expressing is not gay panic, right? It is not, I am a man and another man is touching me. And like, that is the gross thing. The thing is like, I am Veronica. And I am experiencing the feeling of exactly like you said, being so desired that my bodily autonomy doesn't matter anymore. And so it's just an interesting way to frame this experience. And again, I don't know how much of it is like the text itself versus what the actor brought to it, because the reading, I think, changes so dramatically because you could have had this entire scene play out where he's just disgusted over the fact that another man is touching him, but that's not what we get. We get somebody who is deeply affected that their autonomy is being transgressed. Their consent is being transgressed. If you give any other actor this script, what they are almost certainly going to do is when the guy like puts his arm around um, Sean, he's gonna do like a sitcom-y, what? like that and which is a tone that boy meets world is very comfortable with like the director's not gonna yes. tell you no don't do that uh like Corey's pulling that kind of camp shit all the time so you 100 yeah, could like play it in the traditional sitcom way of oh like gay panic like oh boy and i'm straight writer strong doesn't do that not that's not the choice here. that writer strong makes not what's done here because what you see in this date right like the flip side of this coin is you could have seen this date going well and Veronica having had a very lovely time with this man, right? Where they have great conversation and a mutual connection with another human being. Where, like, I don't think leaving that date, there would have been, like, this extraordinary gay panic or anything like that by having had that connection, right? I think there's a version of that date that goes yeah. that way, which means like we're just seeing the flip side of that. Where again, all I'm saying is like what you're seeing is Sean attempting to like really and truly live as Veronica, um, where he's like truly setting his intentions of like having an experience in this way and like setting aside the identity of Sean and truly becoming Veronica as opposed to like Corey's playing drag. I feel like if that same bit had happened with Corey, exactly like you said, he would have been like, where's Topanga? I must touch a boob Yeah, ASAP. how about that football game? That um, kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Oh, what do you think about those Phillies? Um, and so I, I just think that's interesting. But again, like uh, we have Corey's response is get back in that game. And Sean is like, I want to quit. I don't want to do this anymore. And Corey says, I have an article to write. So you are going to go back there and get groped. And Topanga's right there saying, yeah, girl, I have to put up with this shit. So do you go get your hips touched. Like she's all like both of them are all for it. You get back in there and uh, you you deal with this. And and you take it. Corey and Sean is in love with Corey. And so he goes back. He fucking goes back. 
He says, I will take one for the team. I need to prove to Corey team that Corey. I can be I can be this for him. So <laughs> he goes back. And yes. um, we move <laughs> along to the date um, of they just, they're going to like refresh the date. They're going to start over. Refresh. They, we're going, we're, we're, we're starting over, starting clean. He says, look, nobody respects women. Which you know them. is definitely a green flag if that's being uttered. <laughs> yeah. If you have to say that, you know you're in the clear, ladies. Yeah. You know this guy does not have ice claims. Yeah. Why else would he say it? <laughs> Why else would he say it? And so he says, you know what? Let me teach you foosball. I think it's so fun that like there is this like subtext of like Sean if you want to read this as Sean doing some like a genuine uh motivated like gender exploration he got his gender euphoria moment um where he got to feel like wanted and prized and like having that moment like um and then now he in the this scene he is getting again the like fucked up plowing past your consent and now he's getting like the condescending mansplaining now uh what you need to do is you want to spin that handle and you want to make this little guy kick the ball like this yeah <laughs> kind of like that yeah i can go a little easier if you want just take your next shot Nice block. Oh, you like that? Well, let me show you how I did it. Oh, yes, yeah. You are getting the full experience, yeah. baby. You are getting woman the ride, yeah. honey. Yes, because he is condescendingly explaining foosball. foosball. He's explaining foosball, a game that does not need explanation. It, it explains itself. <laughs> it, it does not need explanation. She does. No girl has ever needed you to come behind her and teach her foosball. Yeah, he, so, and that's what sets her off. So he's doing the condescending thing, but he immediately gets back on his bullshit and tries to do like a Patrick Swayze and ghost thing <laughs> with uh, the foosball table. Like, let me show you, this is how you have to move your hips. And uh, that that's it for Sean. And so he's like, does it ever occur to you that I'm a nice girl? Which is inter inter- It is interesting again. Um... Sean is living, Sean is Veronica. Sean has a lot of emotional investment in his perception of him being perceived as this girl. How he's perceived Veronica as a woman. Veronica is a nice being girl. Perceived and being perceived in the way that he wants to be perceived. Veronica is a nice girl. Has it ever occurred to you I'm a nice girl? I imagine Sean is quite protective of Veronica. Yeah. Right? She is a gentle, sweet, safe place within him. Within the depths of Sean's soul lives Veronica. Sean has been caring for Veronica his, his heart. entire life. And this was his special yeah. night to let Veronica out. And you're not going to treat Veronica that way. And so he says, has it ever occurred to you I'm a nice girl? And he said, not in that dress. Um, Just. Very conservative dress. Very. This is Disney. Uh, which I think. <laughs> It is Disney. I also could be like a statement in and of its own, right? It doesn't matter what you're wearing, yeah. right? Um, doesn't actually matter what you're wearing because they'll say in this dress no matter fucking what. And Sean, um, again, Writer Strong gives this so much subtext with how he delivers the lines. Hey, hey. Hey, what? What is wrong with you? I'm just showing you how to play the game. I know how to play the game. 
Yeah, I could tell by the way you're dressed. <laughs> I, I just wanted to look nice. It's because so good. He gets... It's so good. This could have been played for a hokey, cheap laugh, no, but it's right not. Go not ahead, here. Zach. He is delivered. He fucking carries this show sometimes. Like, uh, he's the guy slut shames uh, Veronica, and then uh, she gets hurt and like recoils and deflates and she was like and her voice gets small her voice small. gets very small and hurt and here. then with all the innocence in the world she says i just wanted to look nice i just wanted to look nice and it's just so fucking it's so hurt the eyes are downcast like clearly stab right to the soul the real tragedy of this the travesty of this episode is that this was the one night, the one fucking night that the one we, night we ever that see Veronica. Veronica gets out, and that motherfucker ruined it. The one night that Veronica got out, it. and it, this piece of shit is ruining Veronica's special day. Yes, a hundred percent. This piece of shit ruins Veronica's special day, and so he basically says the you know the classic line of like clearly if you didn't want me to molest you the only possible explanation is you are a lesbian that's i cannot think of a single other reason that's it um and the ending is interesting because i don't the ending is interesting because sean Veronica says, as a matter of fact, I do like girls. He does the classic sitcom, like, he's going to stop being in drag now. And so, like, he does his uh, lower voice. It's like, as a matter of fact, I do. But it's actually not that big of a difference. <laughs> it's, there's, like, hardly yeah. any difference, which is why I think this scene is interesting. Because I don't... There's never really a moment where there is, like, a reveal, in my opinion. Like, I would leave that scene thinking that Veronica was Veronica still. Like, there's to me, there's no reveal. Yeah. All I'm seeing in this scene is this guy, like, understanding that his date's actually a lesbian and then getting yeah. punched. Like, that's all I'm understanding from the scenes. Yeah, we don't deal with that guy scenes. anymore. He has been punched out of existence. We're no longer interested in this man. Right, which I think is it's interesting in a lot of ways, right? Because, like, there... Because I don't think there is this huge reveal moment. And so... What that means is there is not also this big moment of shame that we're supposed because he's the bad guy. So what could have easily have happened in the bat to the bad guy in this show in less capable hands is ha ha bad guy. Aren't you humiliated that it was a boy all along? That's what could have happened mm -hmm. easily in this time period for this type yep. of show. But because we don't get a reveal moment, there is no big moment of humiliation and shame for that bad guy. The humiliation and shame is that he got punched by a girl. That's how I read it. That his date is like, actually, I'd rather date women than you and I'm gonna punch the fuck out of you. Like, that's his humiliation and his comeuppance as opposed to what could have easily happened, which is, haha, it was a boy all along. And so that's why I think there's like so much tenderness around gender, uh, like gender expression in this episode in this way. Like if you take out everything that happened with the dad in the earlier scene. And uh, so then, Veronica punches this guy and says, that's for every woman I've ever met. Yeah, it's complicated because a show like this is a product of many artists working together. And so it's we often say like, well, the show is trying to do this. But I do think that there are multiple um, influences in this end product with uh, different 
goals in mind. Writer Strong, I feel like, has a very specific reading of his lines. Topanga seems to be on board with it. But the show, this episode, is supposed to be about consent and boys learning um, that, you know, well, put yourself in the girl's shoes and uh, think about how you would feel. And so he goes through that journey and he d- learns to be a good boy, uh, like a good date who is not going to plow past consent anymore or be like a sex pest or anything like that, which is how the yes. show resolves. Very last scene where the paper is out. Uh, God, what a week it would be in school <laughs> if... <laughs> The front page of the school newspaper was, we did drag, we catfished a guy, <laughs> been dating it, I punched him. Man, that would be everything. Like That would be everything, because then that guy's shitty behavior is on the front page, right? Like, and again, like probably what would have happened in real life high school is everybody would have teased him mercilessly for having gone out with a boy. Um... And so that that would have happened. Um, and the newspaper teacher is really cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it wouldn't have made it past my principal. Absolutely not. That's a fact. That's an absolute fact. It would not have made it past my principal. So it, yeah, just let me know. But yeah, they have that moment of reconciliation. Sean, the education of the man has happened uh, because Sean chooses to to go back to living as Sean, living as a man, and because the you know the the man has been. It had this had the experience as a woman. He can take off that costume and continue living his life of privilege, but because he has been educated and words of yeah, this shit happens came from his mouth, a man's mouth. They now have credibility, and misogyny at this high school has been completely solved. Yeah, uh, thank you. Sean Thanks, boys. gives the weirdest like pitch to um, the girl in the first uh, scene, Becky. He says to her, well, I guess right at this point, I'm probably the best date ever. At this point. At this point, I'm the best date ever. Odd pitch. Odd pitch that it's like, it's probably this lesson. And Becky was just like, word, best date ever. Sign me up. He's fine. He's good. So Becky gets up on that. She's like, listen, the last 24 hours while you were doing this bullshit, I was uh, exploring my new life as a lesbian. I'll put that on hold if you're promising best date ever. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll revisit it after that. Um, And honestly, like that relationship could have gone that way. Like Becky could have had the best date ever. And then now Sean is Veronica. Becky gets to continue her journey as a lesbian. That's that's Boimius World, the good ending. So, Zach, I have two questions for you. One, do we think this episode was successful in what it was trying to do? And then two, I have a more fun one. Um, so let's answer the first one. Do you think it was successful? So if the show, if you take it at face value, that this is a show teaching young people about consent, then yes, but it has its limitations. Um, yeah, what, I agree. This is what I would consider to be like um, a first level, like baby's first. Baby's first consent. Yeah, baby's first uh, like empathy. Primer. Baby's first like social justice where you are still at the level where you re- you still need to have your hand held and um, like really can only activate your empathy when it directly reminds you of yourself. 
Exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's my big problem with it. Like, it, I think there's like this weird both sides argument that happens in the beginning that I don't love to set up this episode. But my biggest problem with it is that we don't just actually listen to the women in Corey and Sean's life. They must go on this journey where they themselves become women. Right. And what's what's interesting about this is like, what would have happened if they went on this date or Sean went on a date and like nothing happened? He would have done it this one time. And because the one night where Sean let Veronica out and nothing bad happened, Sean would have gone on believing his rest the rest of his life that women are liars about this. Yeah. And so it's just like, it's I don't believe it to be the greatest. Um, yeah. So Black Like Me was this uh, civil rights book in a, ta- it, like, a time when the bar was at the fucking ground. And just like, um, generally yeah. on principle, being against uh, racism was actually like you were on the top half of the class <laughs> for white people. Exactly. So exactly. Um, he well-intentioned um, and it probably did a lot of good because it was a society where right. um, people were not willing to extend empathy to uh, black people and hear their narratives and uh, their stories about their oppression. John Howard Griffin uh, was just being an ally and like using what his resources as best he could to bring attention to this issue. Um, yeah. But ideally, you do not have to rely on um, being reminded of yourself to have empathy for somebody's plight and like their cruelty. That is a very limited way of dealing with the world. Um, and it's it's only going to get you so far uh, because yes. if you're if the ceiling on your ability to have empathy for other people and like to be their ally in their struggle is limited to um, only if you can find a metaphor in your head that reminds you of yourself, then yes. there are going to be limitations. There's going to be only so far that you can go. Yep. And so completely agree. it would have been a better story if uh, we chose to tackle consent, um, talking to dealing with Topanga, uh, you know, our girl character, like using her to tell the story, because that's what she's there for, <laughs> instead of being like right. a sideline, a big sideline. That being said, I think <laughs> I think unintentionally, there was a lot of good things in here unintentionally excellent stuff about gender and identity yeah <laughs> like unintentionally wonderful and almost every scene aside for the dad Corey, uh, like is contemplating his, his same body his same face the same hips and everything is contemplating it through the lens of feminine femininity and feeling ugly and insecure uh, and th- that's an inter it's just an interesting thing to put on tv uh, that anxiety yes. and it's also interesting to show this like gender euphoria in a young adult like television show on disney yep this like sean having a lovely queen for a day moment um yep. very successful in that sense um agree completely on all counts yeah yep i agree i think it, I, I think overall Messy but successful. We'll put it it's that way. Sloppy. That's what we um, like. As a, and that's honestly that's a lot of Boy Meets World episodes. 
they're a me- they're a beautiful mess that ends. They land it sloppy, but they they land it every time. They will stick the landing every single time. Well, Zach, definitely a different energy than our last single episode. Deep I thought that I was gonna do like a campy read of this, and it was gonna be so fun. Then I got really fucking no. choked up when I started talking no. about Veronica. And like it is just this was not that this was not Lady Ada Fly. No, <laughs> this was not that. And so, wow, what a what a powerful text that we reviewed today. Thank you everyone for hanging out with us as we we discovered Veronica together. Um, I hope you all enjoyed it. Um, I hope that if you are at all younger than Zachary and I by, say, 10 years, that your high school experience was much better than ours. I hope you got the chance to be a crack journalist uncovering the scoops at your school. Hey, and listen, I was joking. If you if you are happy and you had joy in uh, your youth, I'm thrilled that that brings me to tears. I'm so glad. Uh, We're happy for you. So you email us and you tell us about how you had all the all the good things. You were on, you're, the entire school came to the fair to celebrate you being gay when you're on the Ferris wheel. You let us know. Thank you so much. Uh, please go ahead and find us on uh, TikTok or Instagram if you haven't already. Um, we also, you know what? It's been a while since we shamed you into rating or reviewing the podcast on uh, Spotify or Apple Podcasts. So guys, come on, please do it. Like, do you need to walk a mile in a podcaster's shoes and understand our struggle so that you can have some empathy and rate our podcast? Is that what you need to do? You need to do a pod like me. and You need to do a pod like me. And learn a little something about liking, rating, and reviewing. Maybe you'll learn something. Huh? How about that? So go ahead and do that, and we'll see you next time. Uh, and remember, folks, uh, if you want to become eco-conscious and start drying your clothes on the laundry line, uh, a little tip for you so you don't have stiff clothes, put in a little bit of vinegar and do an extra wash. It'll dissolve the, the detergent. Yep. Bye-bye. I don't know. What, do you smell then? What? No. It's, it's what? just like half a cup. Half a cup. Don't overdo it. Because it was on, because it was, because it was on, 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 rate, review, and subscribe to, because it was on. Whoop, 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 whoop.